Hey there, and welcome to episode 81 of It's About Time, a podcast sharing stories and strategies to inspire women seeking better work, life, and balance. I'm your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman-Gornick, and today's episode tackles a topic that many of us experienced at some point in the last year. In fact, it's very likely that you're still living this lifestyle and will be for some time. I'm talking about remote work, working from home, homing from work, blurry boundaries, non-existent commutes, questionable dress codes, and co-workers that want to sit in your lap and would like to have another snack now, please. Today's guest has been living the remote lifestyle for most of her career, so you could say that she's an expert on how to work well from anywhere. So when many of us migrated from our offices to our kitchen tables to start working remotely in spring of 2020, she got to work pouring all of her remote work expertise and productivity tips into a book that just hit shelves on April 27th. The book is called Remote Inc. How to Thrive at Work Wherever You Are. Let me introduce you to Alexandra Samuel. Alexandra Samuel is a tech speaker and data journalist who has worked remotely for most of her 25-year career. The co-founder of pioneering social media agency Social Signal, Samuel creates digital content and workshops for companies like Twitter, Discovery, and Sprinkle. Her writing on digital productivity appears frequently in the Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review and she is the tech columnist for JSTOR Daily. She holds a PhD from Harvard University and lives in Vancouver, Canada. In addition to her latest book that we'll be discussing today, she is also the author of Work Smarter with Social Media. In my conversation with Alex, she shares the difference between regular remote work and remote work during a global crisis, she shares her unexpected path to becoming a longtime remote worker. She talks about what it means to work like a business of one. And she dives into how to navigate sticky remote work situations, including a micromanaging boss. As usual, you can find all the details for this episode over in the show notes at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 81, including a link to get your own copy of Alex's book and connect with her on social media. Finally, I want to thank you again for tuning in and being a fan. And if you haven't yet, I invite you to click the subscribe button to be notified as soon as new episodes and surprise bonus episodes go live. If you like what you hear, I'd be so grateful for your review. And with that, it's about time we get started. So let's get this show on the road. You're listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Around here, we believe that busy is not a badge of honor. Your host, Anna Dearman Cornick, is here to share tips and strategies to help you make the most of your time. Listen in on real conversations and success stories to find out how other go-getters are getting things done. If you're ready to step away from the overwhelm and spend your time on what matters most, then you're in the right place. Here's your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick. 
Hi, Alexandra. Welcome to It's About Time. I am so excited to talk with you today. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Well, I am so delighted to host you today and to really dive into our conversation about remote work and see where that takes us. Before we officially started recording, as always, I told the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do in the form of your official bio. But as always, I'd love to hear from you in your own words, how you spend your time these days. Well, I'm, I guess, in a fortunate position in that how I spend my time these days mid-pandemic is actually a lot like what my life looked like pre-pandemic. I have worked independently as a data journalist and speaker for, I guess, six or seven years now and worked remotely for the majority of my career over the past 25 years. And my latest return to remote work, which was about seven years ago now, was inspired by the fact that my youngest child, who's now almost 15, was having a really tough time in school. Uh, Eventually, he was diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. And in the course of trying to figure out how we would support our son, who really, for whom school was really not a great fit... I realized I would have to be more available uh, on the home front. And so I went back to working independently and working from home and also homeschooling my son. And since that was working well for me, my husband actually ended up also leaving his job and, and working from home so that the two of us could share that work. And so at the time that COVID reared its head, We were already working from home. We were already homeschooling one of our two kids. And our eldest was about to graduate from high school and already planning on taking the year off before university. So our lives have actually changed (laughs) remarkably little. And I still, every day, spend some of the day doing my work, which might look like data analysis. It might look like writing, pitching stories to the media outlets I write for. And then there's always some time in the day where I'm playing Settlers of Catan (laughs) or trying to lure my son into doing some math problems. And um, yeah, it's, 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 I think, a pretty unusual existence, um, but of course, not as unusual as it used to be. Definitely. So that's so interesting, Alex, that your life really hasn't changed all that much as a result of the pandemic. I'm so curious to hear you know, what your day-to-day looks like as someone who both works at home and does homeschooling and, of course, enjoys social time with your family. You know, What's a typical day look like for you? Well, one of the things that I'm conscious of relative to some of my friends is I am not a big routine person. A lot of people like to have the same kind of pace of day, day in and day out. And before COVID, my days actually did vary a bit in terms of structure. But I've become a morning person. I was a lifelong night person for many years. And about three years ago, the switch just flipped and I started waking up really early around five or six. And I have found that that works incredibly well for me as as a working mom, because it means that instead of having my me time, my downtime between nine o'clock and midnight when I'm already exhausted from the day, my me time is now first thing in the morning. And I will often do a little bit of work checking email at six in the morning. I'm based on the West Coast of Canada, and almost all my clients are in New York or the East Coast of the US. And so it's really helpful to kind of 
just check in on email first thing in the day, address anything urgent. And then I'll chill out on the sofa and, you know, listen to an audiobook or watch a TV show. I used to spend that time knitting. Then we got a dog and the dog really likes his cuddle time. Oh, <laughs> so, what kind of dog? Uh, we have a we have a dog called the Legato Romanolo, which we decided to get a service dog for our son who's autistic and um, he's too old to be eligible for the pre-trained dogs. So we mm-hmm. had to find a, bra- a breeder and a trainer on our own. And we had all of that in progress before COVID hit and then ended up with what is now known as a pandemic puppy because we got him right in the middle of COVID. And he's a very snuggly breed. So he likes, he expects the first hour or two of the day to be devoted to his belly scratches. <laughs> and it's a really nice way to start the day. I have to say, it's like super calming, right? Like anything... Even if I get like, if, even if I wake up and there's three work emails that are stressing me out first thing, I put on an audiobook and scratch the dog's belly for an hour, and that stress usually goes away pretty quick. My son is also an early riser, although as he moves into his teenage years, that's changing. Mm-hmm. And so morning is often our kind of just the two of us time. And one of the things I found in COVID is we have a pretty small house, I guess. And when all four of us are in the living room or all five of us, because my son has a support worker who comes every day to help us out as well, feels pretty. it can get pretty overwhelming. And what's really nice about having this sort of staggered schedule is morning time is quiet. It's just me and my son and the dog hanging out in the living room. And then sometimes some phases of life, I get going on work at 830 or nine. But you know, one of the things that's really, I guess, like, I I don't know any way to put it other than lucky. One of the things that's lucky about having uh, a kid with with particular challenges is it has really forced me to reevaluate my priorities and Mm -hmm. to learn to put our family's needs first in a way that I frankly never intended to. I was always like a super go-go professional. And when we go through a tough period, which has been the case recently, then I don't start my work until something like noon here, other than that kind of little bit of checking email in the morning, because my son's day goes a lot better if I am available to help him transition into his kind of school day mode. Mm -hmm. And that happens at around 10. And it can take a couple of hours for him to kind of settle into his routine for the day. And so I try and organize my schedule so that that period of the day is available for for the family and not generally booked for client meetings. And then I get into doing my own work over the rest of the day and wind down in the early evening. Hmm. So Alex, It sounds like you have a really fantastic mix of being able to set your own schedule and determine, you know, when you'll meet with clients, when you'll truly start your day. You've shared that you're not too much on day in and day out routines, which which I'm sure will resonate with a lot of the listeners. But clearly it, it takes a lot of work. It seems like it takes discipline. It takes flexibility, as you've mentioned, in order to create structure when no structure is created for you, right? Um, So I'd love to know, how do you, when it comes to balancing work and family and puppy scratch time in the morning, you know, what are those tools or strategies that really enable you to create this schedule that works so well for you and your family? I would say the most important piece of it really does begin with the calendar. So 
I keep my calendar booked off every morning at the very least from 9.30 to 10.30, which is our kind of trickiest transition time. Mm -hmm. And then when things are difficult, I keep it booked off until noon. And that way I know that I am going to be available in the time of day where we're most likely to have issues. And, you know, one of the things that has, I guess, come about as a result of having a a kid who's autistic is that you really learn to become a detective. Mm -hmm. And when we're going through a, a tricky period, we work with our team to talk about what the factors are that we think are affecting our son. And often there are particular times of day that are difficult. And so when we're in a period where you know morning transitions are difficult and also we seem to be having like meltdowns in the late afternoon, I block those periods off on my calendar and I'm pretty religious about not taking meetings so that I mm-hmm. don't have to be pulled into because it's just like, seriously, like the worst thing to be on a phone call where you can't let people know what's going on and you're screaming in the next room. Like it's super tough. The the other thing that I've been really fortunate to be able to do, and I think about this a lot because I don't, I know that not everybody is in a position to do this, is that I'm really candid with all my colleagues and my clients about my family circumstances. There's just, there's really no point in pretending that everything is okay on the home front Mm -hmm. when there are days where things are just like crazy town over here. And what I say to all my clients when we start working together is just like, just so you know, I you know have no trouble putting in a work week because I don't. Like I, one of the things that has really strengthened for me over the years is my ability to refocus. I mean, you seriously, I, I there, there should be, if there were like a Nobel Prize for productivity in the wake of a meltdown, I would for sure get it because <laughs> I've been through some like, crazy scenes over the years, police visits and whatever. But if I've got a deadline, I'm like, okay, thank you very much, police officers for dropping by, close the door, sit back down on my computer. Five minutes later, I've kind of gathered myself and I'm able Mm -hmm. to go back to work. And Mm -hmm. that's just a discipline and a habit and a practice of like learning to put the craziness and the, and the emotional grief and the struggle out of your head and refocus. Mm -hmm. So I I always am reassuring to my clients about my ability to deliver. But what I also let them know is most of the time things are fine. But once in a blue moon, if we're on a phone call and something goes wild in the house, I'm going to have to hang up really abruptly. And it's not like a negotiable. It's not like I take five minutes and we figure out when we're going to resume. It's like, if I have to go, I have to go now. And I find that if I'm really upfront with Mm -hmm. people about that, it's easier for them to obviously roll with it when it when it comes up in the moment. And, and I think it's, I feel like we have this idea that it's not professional to acknowledge our family circumstances and challenges. But if we, we can admit that there are moments where we're not going to be available for personal reasons, then other people can plan accordingly. Okay, y'all. So I know we could all probably use a little more time in our day, right? You're no stranger to busy schedules and intentionally filling them up to the brim because you just have so much to get done. But sometimes it feels like you don't really ever have the time to just slow down and enjoy the simple things. Simple things like when my toddlers are giggling and playing nicely together in the backyard, or when a Sunday afternoon nap sounds too good to pass up. We all want more time to enjoy these kinds of things, right? Well, if you love personality quizzes like I do, then you're in for a treat. In my new quiz, which you can take for free at annadcornick.com forward slash quiz, 
I'm helping you uncover what it will take to get you from chaos to calm, to finally feel like you have space in your days. I know it can feel downright frustrating to keep using the same old time management strategies that just don't seem to work for you. You've got the planners, the calendars, apps, you're doing all the things, but you still feel like you have no time. And that's because you need time management strategies that work for your personality and your life. In my 10 plus years working in crisis communications and chaos management, In all the time I've spent with my clients, I've learned that everyone has their own needs. And knowing what those needs are can really help you discover the best approach to planning your days. Knowing yourself can help you ease up busy schedules and find more calm and clarity in your week. Do you want to know how to get there? To have more breathing room in your days? Let's figure out your time management personality type so you can uncover exactly what you need to do to feel more productive, less stressed, and more balanced. You can take the quiz at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, and I'll make sure to link to the quiz in our show notes. All right, on with the show. Gosh, it really does feel that way sometimes that we're not allowed, like you said, that we're not allowed to or that we're not supposed to acknowledge that we have a real life with a family and craziness that happens outside of work. So I love that you mentioned that and how important it is to just be upfront with what any potential challenges would be just right out the gate. So everybody's got that transparency on what could happen and what might happen. Yes, ab- absolutely. And it took me a long time to get to that place. I have a mom who was a serious career person. She was the vice president of a couple of universities and raised me on her own while doing all of that. And I always felt like I should be just as professional and just mm-hmm. as capable and keep all the messiness off the radar. And it just got to the point where that wasn't really feasible. And, you know, in some ways, I think we were really blessed by the kind of work that we did when our children were young. My, my husband and I started what you would now call, I guess, a social media agency at the same time as when we uh, got pregnant with our second child. And we did both of these things intentionally and mm-hmm. yet totally failed to anticipate that it would be difficult to have a new business and a new baby. Right. Um, <laughs> it was very difficult, but we worked with mostly progressive organizations building online communities. And it's just, you know, nonprofit culture is pretty touchy-feely, especially out mm-hmm. here on the West Coast. And so our clients, I like nursed the baby in front of our clients. And and so I think that kind of got me a little more comfortable with the idea of letting down the wall between work and home. And then when things started to get really challenging with our son, I did try and keep it private for a long time. And at a certain point, it was just like I was having to leave work for emergencies at school and it just wasn't possible. And what I wish is that, like, I feel like when you have a special needs child, it's kind of this trump card that you can pull out and people will be understanding. But the truth is like, Anyone should be able to do that for any child and even like not children. Like we are human beings with whole lives and it shouldn't require some like objectively challenging situation to justify taking care of your personal needs. Alex, I love how you put that the wall between work and home started to get, you know, lower and lower for you. There are so many people in this past year who 
that wall between work and home was basically basically disintegrated, was smashed by a pandemic-sized wrecking ball, if you will. And the lines between home and work are now blurrier than ever before. But you have actually written an amazing book, Remote Inc., How to Thrive at Work Wherever You Are, that I'm sure is going to be a big help for so many people who are still navigating remote work. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and your inspiration for this? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think this is a really great moment for people to take a closer look at their remote working lives, which might seem a little counterintuitive, right? I mean, lots of people have been working remotely for a year now, and actually we're now starting to see offices reopen, starting to think about going back to the office at least part-time. But one of the things that we found in our survey research, we, we surveyed a couple of thousand people about their experiences with remote work, and there are many other surveys that found the same thing, which is almost nobody wants to go back to the office full time. Almost everybody, even people who miss the office, um, want to, to keep working remotely at least a couple of days a week. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that this is really the moment to think about how you make that time outside of the office at least as effective as the time you spend in the office. And you know, many people didn't have that opportunity because I always say, if, <laughs> if you were going to onboard 50 million people into a workplace, you probably wouldn't onboard all of them in the same 48-hour period. <laughs> but that's like what happened a year ago, right? Overnight, 50 million Americans went from the office to working from home. And it was in most organizations very improvised. And there was very little opportunity to think, well, how is working remotely going to change the way we work as a team? How is it going to change the way I need to manage people? How is it going to change the way I get my own work done? And the book came about because my co-author, Robert Posen, had written a very successful book a few years ago called Extreme Productivity based on his productivity approach. And Bob is really like next level. He was the head of Fidelity Investments. Then he was the head of another investment group. And while he was running a investment company, he also taught a full-time course load at H- at Harvard Business School, like superhuman levels of productivity. Wow. Adding that to my list right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's his book's really great. And what I love about about extreme productivity is he shares kind of the fundamental principles that have guided his career and his productivity. And then he also gives you really nuts and bolts advice on how to get your your work done by following those principles. And he had this idea that seeing how many people were struggling with remote work, that some of those ideas would be worth updating for the context of remote work. And when we started talking, we realized there was actually a whole new book to write about what it means to be productive as a remote worker, because it it isn't just a matter of taking the processes that you used at the office and, you know, figuring out how to do them online. You really need to shift your mindset. And as somebody who has worked remotely for most of my career, and also I'm like a huge tech nerd, so I'm always trying to figure (laughs) out how to do things with different apps and tools, I had kind of the other half of the locket, I guess. And so- Bob Bob and I, you know, in some ways could not be more different. I mean, he is super organized in the way that I think people think about being organized and very systematic and structured and has had this incredible corporate career. I'm much more of like an agent of chaos. (laughs) And 
have had a very independent career. But what's really interesting to me is that despite those different, those sort of outer differences, our fundamental approaches and principles and sort of how we think about productivity is very similar. Mm -hmm. And so what we did with Remote Inc. was to distill that down into you know, the mindset that we think is, is essential to succeeding in this different environment, which we call the mindset of thinking like a business of one. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. What does it mean to think like a business of one? Thinking like a business of one really means thinking about your work, even if you're in a job, as if you were a small business owner. And thinking about your home office, right, as if it were a little company with one person, you are that one person. And the reason we recommend this approach is that when you look at the struggles people have had over the past year, a lot of the struggles around remote productivity and remote well-being have to do with what you alluded to earlier, micromanaging. People who are used to working in offices and managers who are used to managing a team in an office often want to know what their employees are doing every minute of the day. And there mm -hmm. is, you know, constant meetings. You're, we're used to working in this very collaborative way because, frankly, when you're in an office, there's so much chaos. There's so many interruptions. You might as well sit down in a meeting room, close the door get four people working together because you're not going to really have a great opportunity to get your solo work done. When you work from home, there's an opportunity to dive into focused work in a way that is not so feasible in an office. But you can't do that if you're working on somebody else's schedule and if you're accountable to your boss for every minute of every day. Right. You're much more likely to be successful if you're following your own rhythms and working in a way that is productive for you. Mm -hmm. And so what we recommend is, you know, think about your job as if you are an independent service provider and your boss is like your number one client. So you're trying to wow your client. And when you're trying to wow your client, and I say this as somebody who's worked independently, you know, if your client wants to meet with you today or tomorrow, you're going to find a way to make that meeting work. If your client wants you to give them a, re a report, you're going to give them a deadline and, and a timeline and agree what the needs to be in the report, and you're going to make it fantastic. But your client doesn't expect you to be available at any moment of the day to them. Your client doesn't get to control the order of your task list for the day. The client doesn't get to say, your work hours are from nine until six, and I expect you to be on Zoom calls anytime I say during those hours. And so the, the virtue of thinking like a business of one is it creates the framework that gives you both the autonomy to do your best work and also really the mandate to figure out how to do your best work because your job is to get the most out of your workforce, right? Mm -hmm. Like any CEO, you have to figure out what brings out the best in your team. And if you're working from home, you are that team and you need to figure out the schedule, the structure, the space, the way of organizing your work that's going to really allow you to excel and thrive. And, you know, I, I, I think that that sounds great. And I think that that makes so much sense to think of yourself like a business and to think of your boss as that client. But what about that super demanding boss? You know, it seems that remote work should give us more opportunities for deep, focus work than ever before. But when you are required to have your you know, team's messenger up all of the time or um, constantly be uh, around the clock 
waiting for emails or text messages or that that 24/7 communication that some bosses are requiring now you know what can someone in that situation do to manage expectations or push back to that almost overreach of uh, monitoring and checking in you're not the first person to raise that question, Anna. And in fact, when we first put our manuscript into the hands of a few different folks, a number of them asked basically a version of that question. And we integrated into our book, there's no question that for many people, their immediate manager uh, is really the biggest obstacle mm-hmm. to remote work productivity. And, and I think it pays to be a little sympathetic there and recognize that you know, for most people, your manager has probably only ever managed people in a face-to-face context where they can kind of look over your shoulder or they see you at your desk. And that's a big part of how they know that you're working. Mm-hmm. And and so it takes managers time to shift. And throughout the book, we actually have tips on how to translate you know, specific pieces of advice into strategies for selling your manager on what it will take to help you work effectively. And fundamentally, the the most important one is for your manager to understand that your goal is to deliver excellent results. And what you need to do with your manager is, is sit down and get clear on what are the results they're looking for. And then explain to them that you believe you are going to be able to deliver better results in a faster, um, timeline, if you have a little bit more leeway to follow your own natural rhythms and work in the way that is most effective to you. Mm-hmm. And in in many circumstances, the most realistic way to make that happen is with a kind of experiment, a pilot project. Ooh. So imagine saying to your boss, hey, I, I've just read this book about remote work that I think could be really helpful in, in getting more out of my remote work days. And that's a conversation you can have you know, in the context of maybe returning to the office part-time. And I'd really like us to try this experiment. For the next four weeks, I would like to be able to set aside, let's say, a block of time every day where I'm not taking calls so that I know I can get my work done during that window, which is when I'm at my sharpest. Mm -hmm. And I'd like us to agree on some metrics that will let us know if this new approach is working for you and for me and for the team. And those metrics need to be pretty objective so that there's no discussion of whether you hit it. So, you know, maybe it's if you're in marketing, maybe it's the number of newsletters you're sending out or the number of blog posts you publish or the number of views you drive to the website. If you're in sales, maybe it's the number of leads you generate or calls you've placed. I mean, the specific metrics are going to depend on on your role, obviously, in your company. Uh, but if you can agree on those indicators and then you know carve out a, a four-week, six-week, eight-week period when your boss is going to essentially back off and, and see... Uh, how it works to let you um, implement a couple of of changes in your work patterns that will make you more effective. I'm going to turn off messaging for these hours every day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to block off my calendar for these periods every day. I'm going to deal with my email twice during the weekend at these specific times that you can count on, but I'm going to turn off my phone the rest of the weekend so that I can take care of my family in a way that means I can be more focused during the work week. Mm -hmm. You know, you just need to make the case to your boss in a way that shows them what's in it for them and what you're going to be able to deliver. And then, of course, you need to deliver. 
Definitely. So that's fantastic advice for someone who's on the, who's being managed. So let's flip that real quick and think about those who are listening, who are managers, who are, you know, still finding their groove in as remote managers. You know, what advice do you have for those who are in the managerial role on how to encourage or how to enable their team to do their best work, to just get the work done? The first piece, of course, is to clean up your own house, probably literally as well as metaphorically. So <laughs> if you, every manager is now in the in the role of being the remote productivity coach to their mm-hmm. team. And if you are still struggling because you haven't been able to set up your workspace right, or you feel like you have to take every Zoom call that you're invited to, um, or you're so constantly interrupted by messages that you never get to your own work, well, you're, you're probably not going to be a very good coach to your team. So job one is to think about your own productivity, your own well-being, the limits you want to set on your accessibility, and practice before you start preaching. The second thing managers can do, and, and this is a practice that I wish everybody had adopted out of the gate last year, is to clarify and document the expectations and working practices that you're going to follow as a team. Mm. So let's create a document. And, and you know, in, depending on how your team works, if you have a pretty functional group and a collaborative culture, these are um, guidelines you can come up with as a team. So let's talk about what are the hours when we all agree to be available for meetings. Maybe we say that all of our team meetings are going to be between nine and noon, but if you want to have some time booked off in your calendar, you are free to book it off in other times of the day. Or maybe there's going to be particular days of the week when we all come into the office as a team so that we can collaborate in person. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the ideal two days for everybody on the team, but we recognize that unless we're in the office on the same days, we're not going to get much out of coming into the office. We're going to decide that as a team, we use Slack or Teams for quick questions, but anything that's longer than two sentences goes in an email. Yes. Right? So all (laughs) of those guidelines. And then also just real clarity, like... Um, if I send you an email after 5 p.m., I do not expect a response until the next day, but I expect a response by 10 a.m. the yes. next day. Yes. If I send you an email at 9 p.m., you don't have to read it. Or maybe as a team, we agree we're not going to send emails at 9 p.m. We're going to use the scheduling function in our email program to make the email go out at 9 a.m. the next morning. And all of these pieces of advice are helpful, whether you're working remotely or you're working in an office. I mean, we have the same struggles when it comes to communications protocols and boundaries and 24-7 email checking, regardless of where we're working. So that that is fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there, Anna, because one of the things we realized as we, you know, approached the end of the book was that, yes, we had thought about all of this advice in terms of the remote work world, but most of it is just as applicable in the office. The only difference is that remote work kind of removes the fudge factor. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're at the office, if you aren't all on the same page in your communications and there's still like two people on the team who refuse to use Slack or three people Mm -hmm. who refuse to use Google Docs, you can kind of work around it. When you're remote, if you are not communicating well, your team starts to fall apart. Your productivity starts to fall apart. You can't keep a boundary between your work and your home life because people are emailing you at all hours. And and so we really look at remote work as an opportunity to hone your productivity and 
sharpen your skills at organizing your work in a way that works for your whole life. And of course, when you do that on the days you spend at home, you're also going to be way more effective and way happier on the days you spend at the office. Yeah, you're more present when you're in home life and you're more on and tuned into work when you're in work life. Alex, it's almost as if we've been working on autopilot for years and years and years in our offices, just going with the flow, letting things happen, having the meetings, sending the emails, responding whenever, and not clearly defining expectations, not clearly defining protocols or policies. And it's like you said, that day that 500,000 people, however, all all of the people were onboarded into remote work, that's when we really had to sort of lock it up and figure out, okay, what is our strategy? What that's, is our clearly exactly defined way right. of making and, this work? Because you know, I think part out, of the reason it's not going to work. This is such an exciting moment. Is that um, when you think about how offices worked in 2018, 2019, it actually wasn't that different from how offices worked in like 1965. Still, very meeting driven, very much about you know who's in the office, who's having lunch together. You know, if we need to have Mm -hmm. a conversation or need to make a decision, we're going to get together in a meeting room. And that totally made sense in 1965, because think about it. Like if you were trying to make a decision before the invention of email, um, you know, it was a real pain. If you were trying to do it, you know, on paper, you'd have to like have your secretary type up the memo and it would go in in an envelope through the mail and then you would wait for it to come back. Like, of course you would make decisions by meetings. It made way more sense. But um, over the past two decades, a whole world of online collaboration technology has come online. Um, Email, of course, was the first word. Well, actually, even before that, really word processing that changed what it meant to work on a document collaboratively because you didn't have to start over. Um, uh, You know, messaging that makes it possible to communicate quickly throughout the day. Uh, collaborative document um, editing through things like Google Docs, project management dashboards. I mean, we have all of the tools we maybe not. I mean, there's always more tools to imagine, but we have an extraordinary wealth of tools to make it easier to work um, not side by side, but we stayed in the office out of force of habit. And I hope that this experience of the past year will give organizations and professionals a chance to take another look at how their work is organized and to say, well, knowing what we now know about what we find really useful about being in the same room and also what we find really useful about being out of the office and having some time and space to ourselves and following our own rhythms, what is the right way of combining remote work mm-hmm. and office-based work so that we can all really thrive and really be productive? Right, right. Thrive. I, I think that's such a key word is how can we thrive and show up as the best version of ourselves professionally, for our family and our personal lives, and for ourselves, you know, pursuing passions and hobbies and just taking care of ourselves Alex, I have loved this conversation with you so much today. And you know, before we sign off, I'd love to know, is there anything else that you would like to add or any advice that you'd like to share? I think that for a lot of people and possibly especially women people, it can be very daunting to 
challenge the way that work has been organized in the office and assert that it actually doesn't work for you to be accessible on Zoom all the time. It actually doesn't work for you to answer emails at 7 p.m. And to say, here's the way I can be available and show up so that I can really deliver great results, not so that I can be at your beck and call. And one of my, actually a, a male boss of mine said to me many years ago, and it was honestly one of the sweetest things anybody's ever said to me. He said, you're very good at being yourself. <laughs> and I had never really thought of it as a skill set, but it was, um, you know, something I came to because of my challenging family circumstances, I became more assertive about needing to work in the way and on the schedule that I, that, that was effective for me and feasible for me and my family. And I just want to encourage people to really interrogate their own narratives about why they can't ask for more flexibility from their bosses. Because for sure, there are lots of external constraints and and women in particular will experience biases in the workplace if they assert their family needs. Mm -hmm. But nobody is going to do it for you. And at uh, at a certain point, the biggest obstacle to getting the flexibility you need for your family life, for your own productivity, is your own belief that you can't ask for it. Mm -hmm. And you'll only get it if you ask for it. And that's why uh, it, it pays to, you know, work work up that courage, work up that strategy, and and look for the opportunity to make your working life the, the working life that you really want. I love that. Don't be your own biggest obstacle. It's up to you to make the change, to make the ask, and to make it happen. That's great. Alex, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to share more details about your new book, Remote Inc., How to Thrive at Work, wherever you are. Um, can you let us know how we can find you, stay in touch with you, and grab a copy of your book? Absolutely. Uh, the best place to find all the latest news on the book and to buy the book itself is through our website, remoteinkbook.com, R-E-M-O-T-E-I-N-C-B-O-O-K. Um, you can also buy directly from our publisher, which is Harper Business, and of course, on all of the uh, independent book sites, Amazon, etc. And to connect with me personally, uh, one of the easiest places to find me is Twitter because I'm unable to get separate from the internet for more than about 45 minutes. And uh, <laughs> I'm A.W. Samuel on Twitter. Perfect. Well, and I'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes so you can head straight there to stay in touch with Alex and get a copy of the book. All right. Thank you again so much for joining me today. This has been so much fun and I look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you so much, Anna. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed listening in on our conversation and that you've picked up some helpful tips to navigate your own remote work journey. You can find a link to learn more about Alex's book about remote work, Remote Inc., How to Thrive at Work, wherever you are, by visiting the show notes at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 81. And before you go, let me tell you about next week's episode. Next week's episode, episode 82, is all about Sundays. Whether you celebrate Sunday fun day or you struggle with the Sunday scaries, Sunday is the day before Monday, and it's the perfect time to set yourself up for success before you jump headfirst into the hustle and bustle of the work week. 
Next week, I'll give you a peek behind the scenes and let you in on exactly how I prep for the week ahead. I can't wait to share it with you. All right. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks for listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Head over to www.abouttimepodcast.com to join the conversation. Check out the show notes and dive into bonus content so you can start living your best life today. Love this episode? Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.